name is Michael Tuck, and I'm the associate pastor here at Bacon's Castle Baptist Church. We are a local church in Surrey, Virginia, dedicated to making disciples of Jesus Christ. This is the weekly podcast that we put out for our local church family and the church as a whole. We hope you enjoy this week's podcast. James chapter 4, this is going to be our text this morning, let me read it to you, beginning with verse 6. God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Therefore submit to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Be miserable and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourself before the Lord, and he will exalt you. A man had received a promotion at work to become vice president of the company for which he worked. The promotion went to his head, and for the next uh, week or two, he just bragged to everyone that he was now the VP of his company. It came to an abrupt halt, however, when his wife got tired and was embarrassed by his behavior, and she said to her husband, listen, Bob, it's not a big deal to be a VP anymore. She said, down at the supermarket, there is a vice president of peas. And Bob was really deflated by that, didn't really think it could possibly be true, so he called the supermarket to ask, and he said, can I speak to the vice president of peas, please, to which he received the answer, fresh peas or frozen peas? (laughs) Two vice presidents, for those of you that didn't get it. If pride is the first sin, then I I would say that humility is the first virtue. Wouldn't you agree? If pride is the greatest sin, virtue is, uh, I mean, humility is the greatest virtue. John R. Stott, who was uh, a man of incredible capabilities, in fact, some have said that probably no man affected the 20th century more than, uh, than John Stott. Uh, he, often, uh, he often said, pride is your greatest enemy and humility is your greatest friend. C.S. Lewis, who also was kind of running for that title of who, was the, who made the greatest impact in the, in the previous um, century, in his book, Mere Christianity, this is what he says, according to Christian teachers, the essential vice, the utmost evil is pride, unchastity, anger, greed, drunkenness, and all that are mere flea bites in comparison. It was through pride that the devil became the devil. Pride leads to every other vice. It is the complete anti-God state of mind. It is pride which has been the chief cause of misery in every nation and every family since the world began. So if pride is the first sin, again, it stands to reason that humility would be the greatest virtue of all. So this, this morning, as we're on the, on the doorstep of 2020, I'd like to ask you, would you like to know God better in the coming year? If you would, then, then I would suggest humble yourself. Would you like to receive God's approval in the coming year? Then again, I would say the same thing. Choose humility. Would you like a closer walk with God? Then be willing to humble yourself. In James chapter 4, verses 6 through 10 that I just read you a moment ago, fleshes out, I think, what it means for us to be humble. And in the passage, it kind of gives us six steps uh, to, if you would, up our game in 2020. So that's really the title of this, this talk this morning. It's upping our spiritual game in the new year in 2020. How do we do that? It occurred to me as I was working on this this week that this 
could be one of the messages in the series on growing our character, right? I'm really going to talk to us this morning about how to grow our character quality of humility because I think as you do, that's how we grow in our spiritual life in this coming year. Now, before we dive into the actual verses, let's talk about the context for them. In chapter 4, Paul, I mean, not Paul, James begins and he says, um, he says, are you at odds with one another? Are you at odds with God? He says, you can't really be a friend of God if you're going to seek to befriend the world. In other words, unless you're going to choose God over everything else, because everything else is hostility to God, unless you do that, unless you choose God above everything else, then, then you're going to be at odds with other people and you're going to be at odds uh, with him. And so he says the key to us growing in this new year, the key to us becoming deeper and stronger in our faith is for us to humble ourselves. And again, there's six steps laid out for us in the verses that I gave you. Here's the first one. Here's how we humble ourselves in the next year. He says, first of all, bow the knee. He says, but God gives grace, more grace. Therefore, it says, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. So humility doesn't come natural to us. It's really, it's part, I think, of, of being in Adam. I really care about myself. I really want to put myself first. Humility is, is not necessarily not caring about myself, but it's, it's about not putting my, it's not making myself first in everything in life. D.L. Moody used to say, Lord, make me humble, but don't let me know it. Because the truth is, if, if I think I'm humble, chances are uh, I'm not I really care about, about my own affairs, and humility is when I'm willing to say, no, I'm not willing to care about my own affairs. I'm willing to care about the affairs of God, or I'm really willing to care about the affairs of, of others. There's no way, I think, for us to be healed, no way for us to be forgiven, no way for us to ha- find new life unless we're willing to actually humble ourselves before God. We can fight the Lord, or we can humble ourselves before the Lord. On the side of a bus in Nigeria are written these words. It says, man, no be God. And that's the truth, isn't it? Man is not God. We never have been. We never will be. Now notice in the text that God gives us grace, it says. God gives us grace. But the text says that, let me go back and read it again. He says, uh, he gives grace, therefore the Lord opposes the problem, gives grace to the humble. So the Bible says that God gives us grace to humble ourselves, but he gives us more grace even when I'm willing to walk in the grace that he's given me. In other words, when I'm willing to walk in, the, in what God has done in my life to humble myself before him, when I'm willing to do that, God's willing to give me even, even more grace than that. The proud man constantly has to remind you of how great he is. He constantly has to talk about how uh, wonderful he is. He's a braggart. But um, the braggart brags because he hasn't... Uh, he hasn't realized how great he is in God. He, 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 thinks he has to convince you and convince himself that he's great. The humble man, on the other hand, looks to God and leaves his reputation with the Lord because he doesn't really care about himself anymore. He walks in the grace that God has given him, and he's willing to trust the Lord with his reputation. So how do I get there? How do I humble myself how do I become the person I'm trying to describe but not doing a very good job of? Well, look at the text again. Notice he says this. He says, he gives grace, he gives us grace, and then he says he, he proposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble, gives us more grace, and then he says, submit yourselves to God. How do I humble myself before God and before others? Well, it's, I bow the knee. 
I bow the knee. I'm willing to submit myself to God. I'm willing to surrender my will to God. Walking in humility means I confess my sins when in my pride I'd rather hide them from you and make you think more of me than you ought to think. It means I forgive my enemies when I really would rather hate them. I wrote that on Facebook this morning. I posted an article about 11 of our brothers who were killed on Christmas morning by, uh, by Boko Haram in, in Nigeria. And one of the things that I felt compelled to write there, and I hope you saw it, was God calls us to love our enemies. The natural response is to hate them, right? That's what pride does. But humility says, no, I'm going to forgive my enemies. I'm going to love my enemies because that's what God has called me to In humility, in submitting ourselves to God, we admit our mistakes rather than blame others. We deflect praise to God rather than seeking to brag about ourselves. Now, a person that I think really does this really well is of the past, a man of the past, would have been Samuel Morris who invented the Morse code and the the telegraph. Well, you know, uh, Samuel Morris, this this is what he said about himself when people would, would try to praise him. He, he would say, more than once, more than once, and whenever I could not see my way clearly, I knelt down and prayed to God for light and understanding. Imagine if, if people today who are in the limelight, like Samuel Morris would have been back then, imagine if men like you and me, we're not in the limelight, but people that are, if they would say, if they would deflect all praise to God, Samuel Morris went on to say this, when he got many honors for the telegraph, and this is what he said. He said, I have made a valuable application of electricity, but because I, not because I was superior to other men, but solely because God who meant it for mankind must reveal it to someone, and he was pleased to reveal it to me. God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. How do you humble yourself this morning? How do you become the person that is not braggadocious, that's not about having to get his way or her way or putting themselves first? How do you do that? Well, you bow the knee to God. You're willing to submit your will and your heart to God. Number one was bow the knee. Number two in, in how to humble myself and how to step up our spiritual life in the next year, I think would be the next thing, we fight back. So he says next in, he says next in verse seven, resist the devil and he will flee from you. This is both a command and a promise. The command is on our part in humility, submit ourselves to God and resist the evil one. Resist the one who is trying to always get us to turn against God. And the promise is that he will flee from us. Now, we don't have any power to make him flee. I think the promise is if I resist him, God's going to fight for me. If I resist him, God will make him flee The word resist is a military term. It has to do with standing your ground and fighting and not running. Now, I'm going to say something about this in just a moment. One of the ways that we fight is to flee temptation, okay? So uh, fleeing may be a way of fighting. But what he's talking about is, is don't just give in and go with the flow. James is telling us if we want to step up our spiritual lives in this next year, bow your knee to God, but then fight. Fight against the evil one. And, and again, I, I really don't like us talking about the evil one like as if he's our main problem. Our main problem is ourselves. Our main problem is our sinful nature, our selfishness. And so what I would say is fight, fight against him, fight back against yourself. 
And how do you do that? Well, you, you fight by taking up the armor of God, for one, in Ephesians chapter 6. I'm not going there, but in Ephesians 6, there's all this armor that we're to put on, the helmet of salvation, the breastplate of, of righteousness. We can do all those things to fight against the evil one. But, but another way to fight against the evil one are these six things that we're going to be talking about, these, these six steps and how, how to walk in humility. This is how we fight the evil one. We bow the knee to God and, and we resist. One pastor suggested that Satan is like a football coach who's studying the opposing team. And so he's looking at the, at the game film of our life. I don't know if that's true or not, but I, I do think Satan at times can know our weaknesses and our strengths. And he can play to our weaknesses. So when, when that's happening, you've, you've got to fight. You've got to resist. You've got to say, I'm not going to let him pluck at my weaknesses so that I give in to them. Now, how do you fight back? Here's, here's a specific thing from Revelation chapter 12. In Revelation 12, um, John writes and he says, they, talking about us as believers, they conquered Satan, they conquered the adversary by the blood of the lamb, by the word of their testimony, for they did not love their lives even to the point of death. So here's what that means. Here's how we fight. Number one, we fight by faith. You know, we, we fight because we trust in Christ. We fight because Jesus fought for us, right? And we trust in him. And that's what it says they did. They belonged to Jesus by the blood of the lamb. They believed in Christ. But then it says, and, and they were not ashamed of Jesus in any way. Here's how you fight. Here's how you fight the adversary. Here's how we walk in humility. Here's how we step up our game. We, we are not ashamed of Jesus. We've got to stop being ashamed of Jesus in the next year. In this coming year, and what I mean by that is not that we've got to be obnoxious or abrasive or rude, but, but we need to stop caring what anybody thinks about our faith and our relationship with Jesus. And it doesn't matter that people look down on us and, and, and they think, wow, they're just a, a religion. It, it doesn't matter what they think about us. It's what we think about Jesus and the fact that we're not ashamed of him. That's how they overcame him. That's what it says in the text. They overcame him because they had a relationship with Jesus. They trusted in him. And they overcame him because they weren't ashamed of him in any way. And then the third thing it says, and, and it says, and they did not love their lives even to the point of death. In other words, man, they gave everything. They gave everything in their lives to Jesus. And, uh, you know, it, it's so hard for us as Westerners to, to relate. I, I mean, I just talked about what happened on Christmas Day. Imagine living, living in a world where, man, to own Jesus, to talk about Jesus, there's a really good chance you're going to lay down your life for that. I mean, that's just so different than how we live, isn't it? It's so different. But yet, that's what it says. Man, they didn't care. They loved God so much. They were not even willing to, to do whatever they had to do to rescue their lives. Jesus came first. So how do we fight back? I mean, we do the same thing. We, we own Jesus. We trust him. We're not ashamed of him in any way. And we love him so much that we don't care what it costs us. I, I think the bigger thing for us as Westerners might be, you know, the materialism. That, that we, have to, we might have to surrender in order to follow Jesus, to love Jesus with all our heart, giving up those material things that we have, a job we love maybe, or all that comes with that. And don't be surprised if, if the enemy is, is fighting against you. I mean, he is. Or don't be surprised about your old nature uh, tempting you. But fight back. Again, I really want to challenge us in this, this new year to, to be a church 
that God uses in a great way. And I think for that to happen, we've got to be a humble church and you and I have got to be humble people. And it begins by, it begins by us bowing the knees, submitting ourselves to the will of God, but, but, or bowing our knees to him. But, but it also continues with us fighting. The Bible says the devil is a murderer by nature. So he wants to destroy. He wants to destroy everything. He wants to destroy you, your career, your marriage, your family, your ministry. But you've got to stand and fight against that. You can't let him destroy those things. How do, you, how do you fight back? You fight back by your faith. We already talked about the word of God, singing hymns, calling on Jesus, leaning on each other. This is how you fight against the enemy when he's messing with your mind and trying to bring discouragement to you. You confess Christ openly and confess your sins openly to others. Come to the Lord's table. Remind yourself that Jesus died for us. Uh, be a part of the church family gathered. Flee temptation. Stand and fight, child of God. Resist the enemy, it says, and he will flee from you. Bow the knee. Fight back. Three, draw near. Look at the text, verse eight. Draw near to God and he will draw near to you. It doesn't seem like the issue is where God is. It seems like the issue is where we are. And if you want to understand this, ask any married couple. If you don't understand this, ask a married couple because they'll explain it to you. There's a difference between proximity and intimacy. There's a difference between being close physically and and being close relationally. There's a big difference. You, You can be in the same house and be a couple and be miles apart relationally. You can sleep in the same bed that close to one another, but yet your hearts are just miles away from one another. Consider another couple. He's deployed, and, uh, and so he's on the other side of the world, and yet that couple relationally is inseparable because they love one another, and they're communicating even far apart. They write. They draw, they're drawing near to each other. This is what God's talking about. He's talking about drawing near to him relationally. It's, it's not, it has nothing to do with proximity as far as space is concerned. It has to do with, uh, with heart. I suggest that God is already wanting to draw near to us. And really, the ball is in your court. In Romans chapter 1, it says that God has revealed himself in all of creation. It says, but there are men and women who suppress the truth in unrighteousness. So what you have to do, instead of suppressing the truth that's evident to all of us that God exists and that this world isn't just out of nothing, instead of suppressing it, you know, open your heart to it. Receive it. On Christmas Eve, I shared this verse. I want to share it again. It's Hosea 6.3. Verse I memorized as a young Christian. Let us strive to know the Lord. His appearance is as sure as the dawn. He will come to us like the rain, like the spring showers that water the land. In other words, what that verse says is this. If you come to the Lord, if you come seeking the Lord, it's going to be like the spring showers I mean, he, he's going to rain on you. You're going, to, you're going to find him and you're going to know him. You know, I've told this story before about the old couple driving down the road and in front of them is a car with a young couple in it and she's plastered right up beside, right beside the, the driver and the old woman says to the husband nostalgically and with irritation, oh, honey, don't you remember when we used to sit like that? To which he replies, I never moved. So uh, it's not God. Listen, it's not God that has moved. 
If you feel far from God, draw near to God. But the person who's, who's gone away is you. The person who's not drawn near is you. God is drawing near to us. And you don't have to be an advanced saint. You don't have to be a super Christian, uh, a great Bible scholar to draw near to God. The weakest, newest, youngest believer can experience the presence of God by just drawing near to the Lord. How do we draw near to God? How do we humble ourselves? How do we fight? I mean, all of these things that I'm going to be telling you this morning, these six, these six steps, you know, all of these are how we, we draw near. But I want to give you two practical that are not listed in this list, two practical ways that I believe are so important for us to draw near. And here's the first one. Listen and learn from Jesus. Jesus said, listen to me because I'm humble of heart. But listen and learn from Jesus. How do you do that? Well, you, you get out your Bible, electronic Bible or paper Bible, and, and begin to read about what Jesus said. Spend time getting to know Jesus by reading what he said. Learn from him. If you're not much of a Bible reader, start in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And just read them because they're the life of Jesus. They're the teachings of Jesus. You want to get to know Jesus? Read the Gospels. Read the first four books of the new part of your Bible. And that's how you get to know. That's how you draw near. Learn, listen and learn of Jesus. And then the other thing I'd say to you, how do you draw near to Jesus? You talk to Jesus throughout your day. You share with Jesus. You just talk with Jesus throughout your day. Now, I, I think I, oh, I never get this word right. Is it, I, I swung, is that a real word? <laughs> the pendulum swung for me from one side to the, to the other side. And so the, the, the one side that I think that, that we tend to do is we tend to have our time where we meet with God and we pray and we talk with God and it's a given time in the morning or whatever. The pendulum went the, to the other side for me and that I wanted to talk with God. I, I, I try to talk with God all throughout the day. I'm, I'm trying to practice the presence of God all the time. But you know what? I, I still, we still need this time over here too. So I'm not, I'm not challenging to move the pendulum from there to over here. I'm saying walk in the middle. But one of the ways that you can draw near to God is to talk to God throughout your entire day. When you're driving, when, when you're sitting at the desk, you know, when you're walking, just be thinking and talking to Jesus throughout your day. That's how you draw near to him. Draw near to God and the promise is he'll draw near to you. I mean, actually, he's waiting on you. Number four, clean up. Cleanse your hands, sinners. Purify your hearts, you double-minded. We must cleanse our hands because they're dirty with sin. And we must purify our hearts because we are divided. We're double-minded. We're, 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 we don't love God above everything else. We love ourselves and we love the things that we can just experience and enjoy in this world now rather than loving God. This morning in the discipleship class, we were talking about the prodigal son, and we had this discussion over whether the prodigal son, when he came home, was he just coming home for himself? For those of you that know the story, I'm not going to tell you the story, but anyway, when he comes home, is he coming home just so he can get something to eat, or is he coming home because he, uh, he loves the father, right? Why, why, I mean, he, he misses the father, and, and we determine we determine that he probably comes home selfishly at the beginning, but when he sees the fathers being willing to shame himself and run and, and the love that he has for the son, 
probably that's when the son repented and said, I want to love my, my father. Cleanse your hands, you, you, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you divided people who don't love God above everything else. Dabbling in sin is going to ruin your appetite for God. You know, it'll, uh, it'll make you not want to be near God because you'll, you'll feel guilty. Get rid of the habit of sin so that, so that you want to be near the Lord. This means, this is what this means. This means stop making excuses for bad attitudes or for casual unkindness or for clever put-downs or for dabbling in pornography or bra- bragging about your accomplishments or envying others or having a critical spirit or being prayerless or needing to control everybody around you or giving in to despair or hating your enemies or hating your enemies instead of loving them. And on and on we could go. We, we need to cleanse our hands. Hosea 10, 12 says, offers us this promise. It says, plow up your hard, the hard ground of your hearts, for now is the time to seek the Lord and that he may come and shower righteousness upon you. Plow up the fallow ground is what the King James says. Plow up the hard ground of your hearts. It says, so, and seek the Lord so that he may shower you with righteousness. Now, I'm not a farmer, but in, and again, farming today is probably different than it used to be. But at some point, there was a time when, especially when that was written, plowing the field meant having to go and get all the stones out. It meant having to dig up all the, all the roots and all the stumps and all that kind of stuff and, and the weeds. And here's what it's saying. He's saying, go and you do the hard work of digging up all that stuff out of your life and pulling the weeds. And God... And God's going God's to bring this great harvest of fruit in your life. We do the hard things in the, with, with the grace of God. Again, I'm not, I'm not saying we do this apart from God's, God's work in our hearts. But with the grace of God, we do the hard thing. And then the promise is that the reign of God's going to come and fruit's going to be in our life. The kind of fruit that we long for and, and desire. So I want to I challenge us something. This is, a, this is a practical thing. If you're taking notes, here's something I'd like you to do this week. You can't do it now. Um, it's going to take some time. But I would, I would like to ask you this week to get alone and give yourself a little bit of time and then ask the Lord, ask the Lord to speak to you the truth about yourself, about about what he sees. I mean, be willing to listen. Let, let the Spirit of God speak to you. I mean, in this, in this regard to cleansing our hands and our double, double-mindedness, ask the Lord to speak to you and show you, God, do, where do my hands need to be clean? Where, where are my hands not dirty and I just, I mean, are dirty and I don't even see it anymore? Let the Lord show you. Now, I don't have this permission, and this person's permission to name them, so I'm not going to, but I was talking to a friend this week, and, um, and they were telling me about how the Lord led them to do this, not even in the context of what we're talking about, about something else. And, and it was actually a friend that was challenging them, and I loved what the friend said to them. The friend said to them, now stop, stop, before you answer, let the Lord speak to you. And, uh, and this person went on to tell me how, and, and with tears, told me about things that they, that came up, that they shared with this, this other person. And, uh, and then they talked about how good the cleansing and the confession and the repentance felt to have this 
out there and cleansed. So, you know, if you really, if you really want to go deep, if you really want to go deep, I mean, get with a friend. Get with a friend and do this. But maybe that's too much to start with. Just you and God. And let God speak to you. And then confess it and own it. I believe we'll be greatly, we'll, we'll be stepping up our game in the next year if we will cleanse, if we'll clean up. Number five, get serious. But look at verse, uh, verse nine. Be miserable and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. I tell you, that just, that smacked of, of just the difference. Uh, that, that just, that's so different than what I often tell you, isn't it? What I always encourage us, what do I encourage us to do? Choose joy, right? I guess it's not as often as I thought. Uh, choose joy. Choose joy. We can choose joy in our circumstances, whatever they are. I mean, that's, that's an important thing to me. I want to choose joy. I can be melancholy. I don't want to be melancholy. I want to choose joy. But here, here, James is telling us, be miserable. Who wants to be miserable? He says mourn. I mean, we want to be happy, right? He's saying mourn, weep. And if you're laughing, stop it. Start mourning. If you're filled with joy, stop it. Turn it to gloom. I mean, it seems to, be the con- it seems to contradict Paul when Paul says, in all things rejoice, right? Rejoice. And again, I say, Paul says, rejoice. Does, isn't this different? Isn't this, the, isn't this opposite of that? Well, I think we have to ask ourselves, what is James, at, what is James talking about? What is Paul talking about? And, and really, they're talking about two, th- two different things. In, in, James, in James' case here, I, I honestly believe what James is trying to say to us, if we're going to humble ourselves, if we're going to step up our game then in, in this new year, then we've got to get serious about it. And that's what he's talking about. Don't be frivolous. Don't be frivolous. Be serious about what we're talking about this morning. Be serious about cleansing your hands. Be serious about fighting back. Be serious about bowing the knee. You know, we, we are somehow, I think, we're, we're, we're just too flippant with, with our relationship with God and what God desires of us. Eugene Peterson, in his paraphrase, we call it the message. Some of you may even have that Bible. I'm using it this morning. But this is what he says about this very same passage. And I think it captures what I believe James is trying to say. This is what Peterson said. Quit dabbling in sin. Purify your inner life. Quit playing the field. Hit bottom. Cry your eyes out. The fun and games are over. Get serious. Really serious. Get down on your knees before the master. It's the only way you'll get on your feet. So here's what I believe James is trying to say to us. He says, you know, when you get serious with God and you mourn and, you, and you're broken over your sin and your, your pride and your arrogance and you repent of that and you want something different, what comes out of that is the joy. What comes out of that is the joy that Paul is challenging all of us to. But it has to begin with us getting really serious about our sin. I have recognized and I have watched men and women get serious about their sin and almost universally what happens is they, they're like Isaiah in Isaiah 6. Wow, woe is me. I'm really not a good person. I really do have a problem. I mean, I, I've seen it a lot, but, but what comes out of that is they, they get this brokenness over their own sin, but then comes the, the joy of their salvation. Then comes the joy of Jesus coming in their life and, 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 and saving them and forgiving them of their sin and giving them the promise of eternal life and hope forever. 
And I think that's what Paul, I mean, I think that's what James is telling us here. He's saying, guys, get serious about your relationship with God and get serious about fighting. Get serious about sin. Get serious about submission to the Lord. Let's get serious. And let's step up our game in the new year. Let's step up the game of our church and let's get serious in this next year. All the more serious. And when we do that, uh, boy, I tell you, God's going to pour out grace upon grace upon us. And then the final one. And the final one, I think, is, is, I would call it stay low. Stay low. So the first one was bow the knee. This one is stay low. Humble yourselves before the Lord and he will exalt you. When I was a young Christian, there was a professor at Dallas Theological Seminary uh, named uh, Howard Hendricks. And Howard um, was also involved in Campus Crusade, so I got to hear uh, Dr. Hendricks speak an awful lot. But one of the things that he would say to, uh, to everyone was this, lie low and exalt Christ. Lie low and exalt Christ. And I think that's a good word for, for all of us. We can either promote ourselves or we can exalt Christ, but it, it doesn't seem to me like we can do both of those. It's either I'm going to lift me up or I'm going to lift Jesus up. I'm going to make me low or I'm going to make Christ low. I, I have to kind of choose. And, and, and I'm, he, here's, the, here's what James is telling us. He's saying, choose to exalt Christ and choose to stay low yourself. Looking for illustrations, I found this story by Benjamin Franklin. He had gone to visit uh, the Puritan preacher Cotton Mather. And uh, so they were in the house together, and, and Benjamin Franklin wasn't paying attention, and Mather begins to tell him, stoop, stoop, stoop. And, and Benjamin Franklin said so he didn't know what he was talking about. And what Mather was trying to say was, the door frame is really low. Stoop, or you're going to whack your head. And that's exactly what Franklin, Franklin did, and he whacked his head on the, on the beam of the door. And, uh, but then Mather followed up, and he said, you're young. And have the world before you stoop as you go through it, and you will avoid many hard thumps. And Benjamin Franklin went on to say, that advice has been very useful to me. I avoided many misfortunes by, uh, by not carrying my head too high in pride. And I really believe that's exactly James' point right here. You know, there's a lot of debate over whether George Washington was a Christian or a deist. And, uh, and I don't really want to enter the fray of that debate. But one thing I do want to say about George Washington was George Washington was a man who was humble and he stayed low his entire life. I've told this story before, so I'm just going to briefly remind you of it, where he's riding one day and there's a corporal trying to get his men to move a log and, 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 uh, and Washington says, hey, go help him. And the corporal says, I'm a corporal. And uh, he doesn't know who Washington is. Washington gets off his horse, goes and helps him put the log up there. And then as he gets back on his horse, he said, hey, any time you need help with another log, just, just call for the commander in chief. So I've told you that story before, but there's just so many stories about George Washington. Here's another one that I have not told you before that I read. And uh, once upon a time on, uh, on a ride where they were, um, they were riding some of his men, they were just out on a ride and they were jumping and they jumped over a farmer's fence and they knocked some of the stones off the top of the fence with their, uh, with their horses and Washington said, hey, we should put them back and they all said, oh, let the farmer do it. And so Washington and them went on and they finished the ride and when they had all finished the ride and when he was done, he got back on his horse 
and he went back and he repaired the wall himself. One of his companions had gone with them, and he was saying to him, and this is what he said, George, you're too big to do that. And here's what George Washington said, on the contrary, I'm the right size. When the war was uh, won, won, when the war was over, I don't know if y'all probably know this, but uh, Washington returned to private life. And everyone wanted to make George Washington our king. You know, we, we might have had a king like England if George Washington had been any other man who wasn't willing to stay low. But he stayed low. And King George III of England asked about that, about Washington's activities. And when he heard that he was going back to private life, he said this of George Washington. If this be true, then George Washington must be the greatest man in the world. And I think the reason why that might have been true in some ways is because he was willing. Remember, uh, he was willing to stay low. The man that God exalts is the man who's willing to stay low. James started this admonition by saying, bow the knee, bend low. Now he's saying, stay low. So here's, here's the point that I want you to get from, from point one to point six, is that it's not a one, humility is not a one-time thing, everyone. Humility is not a one-time decision. It's a lifetime of decisions, of choosing to stay low of exalting Christ, of lifting him up. I'm sure that James would agree with Dr. Hendricks when Dr. Hendricks said, uh, uh, oh, what exactly did he say? He said, oh, yeah, stay low and exalt Jesus. I know that James would, would have agreed with that. Here we are on the cusp of 2020, and um, many, of us, many of us might be thinking about in this next year, how, to, how do I become a stronger follower of Jesus? How do I deepen my Christian life? Well, I, I think James has a, has a stepping plan for us. Bow the knee. Fight back against, against the evil one. Draw near to God. Clean up your lives. Walk in holiness. Get serious. Get serious and stay low. In the kingdom of God, if we will humble ourselves, then he will exalt us. The, the pathway up is the pathway down. So I have two final thoughts in closing. And these kind of rang out through my heart all week as I was working on this. Here's the first one, two things. Number one is, go back to verse six. You notice in verse six, it says, God opposes the proud. I mean, let that ring in for just a moment. God opposes the proud. You know, I don't know about you, but I don't want to have God against me. Do you want to have God against you? Hey, walk in pride and he will oppose you. Walk in anger, he will oppose you. Walk in it with a hurtful tongue, he will oppose you. Walk in lust, he will oppose you. Walk with an unkind spirit, he will oppose you. Walk in pride and God will oppose you. And the second thing that, that, I, that I thought of, you know, kind of in the hole here is, as I remember Jesus and I know you know this passage, it's, it's a favorite for many of us, but it's Philippians 2, and it's, and it's Jesus illustrating this message. Adopt the same attitudes, Paul said, 
as that of Christ Jesus, who existed in the form of God, did not e- consider equality with God as something to be exploited. Instead, he emptied himself by assuming the form of a servant, taking on the likeness of humanity. And when he had come as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. For this reason, God highly exalted him and gave him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God. The Father. The reason you can do this is because Christ did it first, and His Spirit will empower you to walk in the very same way. I want to end with this story, and it's the story of Hudson Taylor. And Hudson Taylor was that great missionary to China. And one uh, one time when he was in Melbourne, Australia, uh, preaching and I guess you know recruiting missionaries, raising support. I'm not sure what he was doing, but he was speaking at a large church. And, uh, and he was introduced by someone, doesn't say who, but they were talking about this missionary, about Hudson Taylor, in such eloquent and glowing terms. And the whole congregation's there. They're listening to all the things that Hudson Taylor has accomplished. And, and then the guy presents him like this, and he says, and, and now our illustrious guest, Hudson Taylor. So Taylor comes up to the front, and he stands at the front for just a moment. And here's what Hudson Taylor says after probably 30 seconds a minute, I don't know how long, but long enough to get everybody's attention. He says, dear friends, I am the little servant of an illustrious master. That's how we should be. Let's pray. Father, on the brink of, of 2020, we, um, we come before you saying that we want to we want to grow in our spiritual lives. Lord, we want to, to use that idiom. We want to step up our game in our spiritual lives in this coming year. And we recognize that it begins with humility. And so, Lord, this morning, we want to come and humble ourselves before you. We, we want to do as James has admonished us to do, that is to submit ourselves to you and uh, to fight uh, to fight and resist the evil one, resist our old evil natures, and, and draw near to you and cleanse ourselves of sin and, and unrighteousness and, and even double-minded thinking. We want to love you above everything else, and we want to choose you first. And um, we ask that you would help us because we recognize uh, that apart from you, we, we can do nothing. But thank you for giving us your spirit. Thank you for giving us the ability to do these things, Lord, to choose you, to humble ourselves, to exalt Christ. I want to pray for myself first and foremost, but I want to pray for all of us here this morning listening even, that God, you would help us in, um, in this new year to just humble ourselves before you. May our church, Lord, be a church that exalts Jesus and lifts up Jesus to the world around us. Lord, I pray, you know, we haven't had all that many people receive Christ this year through the witness of our church. I pray, God, that in this new year, you would, uh, you would help us with that. Lord, that through our, our witness, our being unashamed of Jesus and uh, loving our uh, lives not even unto death, that, God, you would use us to see many people who are far from God draw near to God and come to know you this year because of us. Would you help us do that? Father, help us to humble ourselves. We, we thank you for being such a great and good God. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. 
thank you so much for listening this week. If you have any questions, you can email them to Pastor Jimmy at baconscastle.com. Also, check out our website at baconscastle.com to get to know us and see what God is doing locally here in Surrey. Be blessed. Thank you.